today we have the third temptation of Jesus. Two Sundays ago, I preached on the first temptation of Jesus in the wilderness about how the Holy Spirit had led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and the devil tempted him after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting. It says that Jesus was famished, and the devil said to him, you see these rocks sitting around? Change one of them into a loaf of bread and eat it, and, and, and satiate your hunger. There's no reason for you to go hungry. If you are the Son of God, you have it within your power to do this. Change a rock into a loaf of bread and eat. And Jesus defeated this temptation by turning to the Scriptures, by turning to the core of the Hebrew faith, to Deuteronomy, to the book of Deuteronomy, to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, quoting it and saying, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The first temptation was to depend upon himself, upon his own strength, upon his own abilities, on, on his own nature and identity as the Son of God with the power that would be there inherent in being the Son of God to change rocks into bread. And for us, the temptation, the first temptation, is to depend entirely, solely, and completely on ourselves, rather than turning to our neighbors, to our brothers and sisters, and most especially, rather than turning to God for help. The first temptation is to depend only on ourselves. And we defeat the first temptation we faced just as Jesus defeated his first temptation by turning to the Word by turning to the Bible, by turning to Scripture, by turning to Christ Jesus Himself, who is the living Word, and following Him. The second temptation, which we looked at last week, follows from the first temptation. It's like the devil is saying, okay, if you're going to trust in the Bible, if you're going to trust in Scripture, if you're going to trust in the Word of God, then here's the Word of God. And he quotes from, for him Psalm 91, where it says that God will give angels charge over him to keep him in all his way, and they will bear him up lest, they dash, lest he dashes his foot against a stone. In other words, depend upon the Bible. If you're the Son of God, prove it. If you're going to depend upon the Bible, prove it. Here is some scripture. Now throw yourself in the pinnacle of the temple and prove that you are who you say you are. The temptation here is to take the Scripture and twist it, take the, the Scripture and adjust it, take the Scripture and spin it into something that you want it to say rather than what it actually does say. Because Psalm 91 has absolutely nothing to do with throwing yourself into harm's way and letting the angels catch you and write, and write you. It has nothing to do with any of that. The second temptation that we face is if we're going to depend upon Scripture, Let's make Scripture say what we want it to say. Let's ignore those Scriptures we don't want to pay attention to. Let's pay attention to those Scriptures that we like. And those that we like, let's twist them even more to make them say what we want. That's the second temptation. And we, clergy, we're really good at twisting and spinning that Scripture to make it say what we want it to say. We're really good at that. Okay, so you defeat the first temptation by quoting Scripture. You defeat the second temptation the exact same way. The second temptation is to twist the Scripture to make it say something that it doesn't say. And, and Jesus defeats it by quoting the Bible again, this time Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. One does not put the Lord your God to the, to the test. Don't make God obey you. 
Don't make God obey your interpretation. God is not your lapdog who's going to do what you say by twisting the Word of God to make it say what you want it to say. Don't test. Don't place your God under examination to obey your twisting of Scripture. So now we come to the third temptation, which most people think is the most hideous of all the temptation, the most hideous and disgusting and obviously evil and wrong of the three temptations is this third temptation in the Gospel of Matthew, where the devil says to him, okay, all these things, all these nations, all these powers and uh, countries, he takes him to the top of a mountain and says, all of these powers and countries and nations of the world, I will give them to you. They'll all be yours if you'll only bow down and worship me. Look, Jesus, there's Syria, there's Egypt, there's Greece, there's Rome, there's far-off Britain, there are the tribes of northern Germany, there's China in the far east, and India in between, and Persia, all the nations of the world are mine, and I will give them to you. You can have them right now. And you only have to do one thing. You have to bow down and worship me. And they'll all be yours. Now, you're supposed to be the Messiah, right? You're supposed to be the Son of God, right? You're supposed to be the Messiah who will defeat the Roman Empire and cast out the Roman Empire and reestablish the kingdom of David, not just over this region of the world, but over the entire world. You're going to become boss of the world anyway. That's your job. If you are truly the Messiah, here's a way to get it done quick and easy. No fuss, no muss, no trial, no tribulation, no death, no crucifixion. You don't have to go collect a whole bunch of disciples who won't listen to you and won't understand what you're saying anyway. You don't have to preach to a whole lot of people who won't want to hear you and will throw you out. They're not going to have to do all these healings and all these miracles. You don't have to do any of that. All you have to do is worship me. And who's going to know? We're in the wilderness here. It's just you and me, Jesus. We're here in the wilderness. All you have to do is worship me it'll all be yours it'll all be yours ooh ooh I mean this is obviously evil this is you don't it, it's it's like having the robot from lost in space going danger will robinson danger it's obviously wrong And Jesus answers it. Jesus responds to the devil in the exact same way he responded in the first and in the second temptation. He turns to Deuteronomy. He turns back to Deuteronomy chapter 6 again in verse 13. And as translated in Matthew's gospel, he says, Away with you, Satan. He names this being, by the way. Away with you, Satan. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only 
him. Now, in the Hebrew Bible, the word worship there is tirah, and in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, it's phobeo. And tirah and phobeo both mean reverence, awe, fear. We get the word phobia from phobeo. Okay? Wow. It means reverence, awe, fear. Oh, that's what that word means. But for some reason, Matthew and Luke render this as worship. Proskuneo in Greek. Worship. Huh. Worship. Give awe and reverence to God alone. And the operative part, by the way, here is serve only Him. Serve in worship only Him. He's actually basing this on yet another passage there in the same chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 6, called the Shema. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Achad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, or possibly the Lord alone. He defeats the third temptation by quoting from the core of the Torah, from Deuteronomy, from the very chapter that contains the Shema, proclaiming we are to worship God alone and serve only God. We're not to worship anything else. We're not to worship other people, other things, other beings. We are to worship God alone. First temptation, depend upon yourself, defeated by the Word of God. Second temptation, if you're going to depend upon the Word of God to defeat the first, then let's spin the Word of God to make it say what we want it to say. You defeat that by also quoting from the Word of God. And trust in God. The third temptation, all right, if you're going to depend upon God, let's shift God. Let's change who God is. The third temptation is simple. If you're going to depend upon God and upon God's Word and what God's Word says, then let's just change God. If we don't like the God we've got, we can always change Him. One of my favorite horror movies is They Live. I think it came out in the late 80s or early 90s. I think it's late 80s. And in this movie, all these aliens are walking around the earth, and they look just like us, unless you have a special pair of glasses that you can put on. And you put these glasses on, and you look at the aliens, and you can see them. You can look at these people that have, they're actually aliens, and you can see that they're aliens. And they look evil, and they look horrible. But these glasses not only allow you to see the aliens for what they are, they let you see reality for what it is. All of these advertisements all over the place. You look at it, and, and it, without the glasses, and it says, you know, buy Diet Coke. Well, if you look at it through the glasses, it says, obey authority. Subliminal messages. You look at other signs, other uh, uh, advertisements, and it says, do not question, but obey. And this guy, when he first discovers what these glasses will do, this guy, the hero of the story, looks at some dollar bills in his hand through the glasses. And written on the dollar bills, it says, this is your God. The third temptation. 
if we can survive the first temptation to depend upon yourself, if we can defi- uh, survive the second temptation to spin the Scriptures to make them say what we want, the third temptation is to shift our gods, to worship something else, to worship self, to worship other people, to worship things like money, like family, like country, like patriotism, to worship other things, things other than God. And Jesus defeats it. The same way he defeated the first two. He goes to Deuteronomy and he quotes it beautifully. Fear the Lord your God. Worship the Lord your God. Have all on respect for the Lord your God and serve only him. And this brings up that question that I asked during the first sermon. I touched on in the second. I want to address it head on today. This being that Jesus here names Satan, this being, this devil, who and what is he or it? The question is, is he another god? There's a theological movement called dualism, which says that there's light and darkness, there's good, there's bad. There's the good force, the light side of the force, and the dark side of the force. There's, there is a good God and a bad God. There's a holy God and an evil God. There's good and there's bad, and they are balanced in this world. And you choose which side you're going to be on. Like Luke Skywalker hanging on to the air fin there at Bespin, and his dad, uh, Darth Vader, says to him, Come to me, come to the dark side, and we can rule the galaxy as father and son. You choose which side of the force you're going to follow. It's dualism. Good versus evil. And in most dualistic structures, they are pretty much balanced. The good sometimes has an advantage in some things. The evil always has real power, like, like the emperor in the Star Wars films who can, you know, do this and lightning shoots out of his hands. And he can roast Luke Skywalker as in Return of the Jedi. Of course, we saw that Yoda can do that in the, in the third film, too. This dualism... It's what operates in many people's theologies when they think about Satan or the devil. And therefore, when they do something they're not supposed to do, they say, well, the devil made me do it. Don't blame me. Blame him. Blame anybody but me. And this response to the third temptation hits that theology square on the head and knocks it out. Because it says, point blank, there is no other God. There is only Yahweh. There is only God, and you are to serve only God. It's not a question of serving good or evil. You have no option here. You must serve good. This devil, this Satan, what is he? 
Now, when I was in seminary, I read all the, studied all the books, I studied all the scholars who said, talked about how Satan and the theology of Satan developed over a long period of time. The Hebrew people picked up little bits from here and little bits from there and applied them to their understanding of this uh, trickster kind of character who was also a kind of tempter character, who was also kind of an accuser character, and they kind of put them all together, these different characters, put them all together. By the time of Jesus, they kind of came into the form of one that Jesus addresses as Satan, Hasatan. And here, that's what he calls him. And for a while, I believed, well, there, evil was a force, but it was a force of humans doing bad things. There really was no personal devil or personified evil. There were lots of evil people walking around doing evil things. Just watch the news. You can see it every day. But over time, my pastorates, I kind of came into contact again and again with personalized evil. Sometimes it was in people who sat in the pews and looked at me, shooting those mental darts at me, wanting me at least gone, if not dead. And there were other times when I had death threats phoned in against me. That's fun. Go home, play the answering machine, and hear someone telling you that if you get in the pulpit next Sunday, they're going to kill you. That's fun. Or having the county sheriff come into the parsonage to get you out before you're made an object lesson of by the Ku Klux Klan. Or in Oak Cliff, in the middle of a boundary zone between two different gangs and their drug wars against each other. And at 2 o'clock in the morning, hiding inside my desk in my house with my cat hugged to my chest because they were doing, one gang was doing a hit on a, the other gang's drug house that's next door to the parsonage. And there's semi-automatic weapons fire going off into the living room next door and just for good measure into mine. Does evil exist? Yes. Is evil personified? Yes. The good news is that in Jesus Christ, the good news is, in that, is that in Yeshua, the good news is that in Yahweh our God, we have victory over evil. The evil that we're seeing going on right now over in the Middle East, with people taking a religion and perverting it entirely and murdering people, women and children as well as men, strapping them down to beds and impaling them through the head with crucifixes. This kind of evil reminds me when I see it about how much God loves us that He gave His Son for us all, including those who do such evil things. Jesus teaches us that we don't respond to evil with evil. We don't respond to evil with evil. We don't 
take the position that the ends justify the means. And that's exactly what we have here in the third temptation. Choose your God, shift your God, and let the ends justify the means. It's a good thing. Jesus ruling the world, Jesus being... Jesus, if I give you the power to, to rule the whole world, you can choose to rule it with love and make everybody love each other, and you can have peace and harmony. And Satan says, all you have to do is worship me. Good end, bad means. The ends never, ever justify the means. And we cannot respond to evil with evil ourselves. We must respond to evil as Jesus calls us to respond. And Jesus sets a really high bar. Love those who hate you. Pray for those who persecute you. Do good to those who do harm to you. Well, I can't do that. We can't. But through Jesus, we can. Jesus can transform us and change us so that we can respond to evil with the good of Jesus Christ. We have to face down this temptation, this temptation to respond to evil with evil, or this temptation to try to get it done easily where the ends justify the means. We must be a people who avoid the first temptation to trust in the self, who avoid the second temptation to spin Scripture to make it say what we want it to say, and to defeat the third temptation, to shift our God, to change gods in midstream, and to let the ends justify the means. As we move on now through Lent, May we be open to the temptations that confront us. The temptations to trust only in the self. The temptations, if we're going to trust in the Word of God, the temptations to spin it to make it say what we want it to say. And thirdly, the temptation to let the ends justify the means, to shift God from God to something else. We must defeat the three temptations by doing what Jesus did and trusting in God. been listening to a sermon by Dr. Gregory Neal, Senior Pastor of the First United Methodist Church in Commerce, Texas, and Rector of Grace Incarnate Ministries.
Copyright 2015 by Dr. Gregory S. Neal. All rights reserved. For more information and for other sermons by Dr. Neal, visit us on the web at www.revneal.org. That's www.revneal.org. You are also invited to visit us in person at First United Methodist Church, 1709 Highway 24, Commerce, Texas, 75428. This program was produced by Dr. Greg Neal.